ora, I'm Erica Wilkinson, and this is the Doc Sounds of Science podcast. Kia ora, ko Erica Wilkinson tēnei. He kōnai i pirangi tēnei e pā ana ki ngā Sounds of Science. Every episode, we talk about work being done behind the scenes by Doc's technical experts, scientists, rangers, and the experts in between. Today's episode is with Laura Boren, one of our technical advisors in the marine space. Kia ora, Laura. Kia ora, Erica. Ko Laura Boren toku ingoa, ki te papa atafai aho e mahiana. Hi, Erica. My name is Laura Boren, and I work at the Department of Conservation. Hailing all the way from the landlocked state of Nebraska, we have one of Aotearoa's preeminent marine biologists. An unexpected journey, not unlike some of her beloved fur seals, which have also been known to travel far and wide. Welcome, Laura. Thank you for having me. So, Laura, tell us a bit about your job. It sounds fascinating. Well, I'm a science advisor in the Marine Bycatch and Threats team here at DOC. Essentially, it means that I provide advice on a range of different marine issues. My background and specialty is in marine mammals, in particular the pinnipeds, or um, what we more commonly know as fur seals and sea lions. A little fun fact is that pinniped is Latin for finned foot. That's a good way to remember it. Yeah, so my my background is with um, those guys. So I provide advice on fur seals. Um, They're kind of our main seal species that we have around New Zealand. But I also provide advice on the sea lion threat management plan and any sort of reactive um, issues that we have come up with leopard seals uh, and elephant seals and the like. And and what did you study? I studied marine biology. I came to New Zealand uh, to study. So I did my bachelor's at the University of Auckland. And then I um, studied tourism impacts on New Zealand fur seals based out at um, the University of Canterbury. And I carried on to do my PhD because I love them so much. Understandable. Uh, and, And you've come over from America. So what brought you over here? Well, I finished up high school in Colorado, actually. Um, I come from a military background and moved around a lot and finished in Colorado, which was a landlocked state. I, When I realized that marine biology was my um, what I wanted to study and I was going to have to go out of state to do that, my parents suggested also considering other countries as an option. And they had been on holiday to New Zealand in 1984, absolutely raved about it. And so I said, ah, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll take a look at New Zealand. Uh, came here and, yeah, haven't really looked back. That's so brave. Oh, my gosh, I can imagine that being quite a big step. Definitely was. <laughs> so, so I've known your name since I started Doc, and it's always been synonymous with, um, with seals. Anytime we've got a seal question, you are our first stop. So first, I want to ask the question we've been seeing a lot across social media at the moment. Are there more seals around lately? Definitely, yes. Um, seals were uh, used to be very plentiful all around New Zealand, uh, probably around one and a half to two million uh, is the estimate. But they were hunted for their fur and also their meat and basically hunted to near extinction. And their stronghold was essentially in this um, southern part of the South Island and the offshore islands. 
And since their protection, they've been recolonizing from south to the north. And so we are definitely seeing more um, and definitely more around the North Island now. And of course, uh, the North Island is also where our biggest human population is. So we're seeing people are noticing the fact that we have more seals around. So what's the strangest seal call you've ever gotten? We've had loads. um, And... Yes, a few definitely pop into mind. We've had a couple, um, and for some reason, these always happen in Tauranga, but we've had two seals who have let themselves into a house through a a cat door or a dog door and have wound up in somebody's living room in Tauranga. Two separate occasions, several years apart, uh, but yes, that was definitely one of the strange ones. Uh, we've also had another one where uh, a seal turned up on a on a farm, um, went up a stream, followed um, followed it all the way up, wound up in um, on a farm, and the farmer notified um, notified us of the seal, but brought it back to the house to be able to show his children before releasing it again. Um, so yes, we had a, a phone call about the first seal pup that was taken home and wrapped up in a blanket and all cuddled up. Oh, is that not what we should be doing for seals? Should we say that? <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, it was it was definitely an interesting day for me. I spent a lot of time talking to to various people and and reporters because the story definitely hit uh, hit the news. And the key thing for us, you know, their heart was in the right place. They meant well, wanted to do the best thing for the seal pup, but. Um, but essentially, these guys are actually quite resilient. They, they're more resilient than what we often give them credit for. And just because they're young um, doesn't mean that they need to be taken in and, and looked after. In a lot of these situations, they'll be just fine if you leave them to their own devices. They'll find their own way back. And um, so the best thing in that situation would have been just to leave the CLB. Sure, give us a call. Let us know. Um, and if there is a problem, uh, we can keep an eye on it and move it if it becomes a risk to the seal or anybody else. Okay, that's good. That's good context to have. So seals do love a wander, but they will get themselves back to where they're going. So as a member of the public, if I'm just going about my day and I see a seal somewhere that I'm not expecting to, what would you recommend I do? The best thing to do is just view it from a distance to start off with and uh, just have a look at it. If there is anything that you're really concerned about, like its body condition, or it looks like there's an injury, or it could be entangled in something, then that's something that we definitely want to know about. If you're not certain, then it's always best to just err on the side of caution and give us a call on 0800.hot. By and large, if it's if it's just resting, our action is likely going to be just to leave it be. Um, but we will often, you know, depending on the circumstances, if it is, you know, on a farm or somewhere where you're really not expecting it to be and you're a bit concerned, uh, we can set up a way either through members of the public or having a dock officer check on on the seal. We can have monitor it and see if the situation progresses to a stage where we need to intervene. But generally speaking, give it a couple of days and it'll move on. Okay, but that could be quite an important citizen science side of things that's helpful data for you to get when you don't know that I'm by the beach that you haven't seen. Um, So should I take a photo and send it to you or...? 
Definitely, definitely. All of that information is really helpful. Um, photos will also help us make an assessment of the situation and check the body condition of the animal, age, get an estimate, um, rough estimate of age, and also whether it's male or female. We can, we can tell a reasonable amount from a photo if it's taken well. And so the best thing to do is getting a photo of the entire body um, straight on. Um, don't try to do any artistic angles, just get a nice straight on photo of them and the whole body and, and pop something in for scale like your foot is a really easy thing too. Um, and that also helps us with the size estimation. Okay, great call. No Instagram filters on these ones. And how come I've got to stay at 20 meters away from seals? Is that the distance? That is the distance that we recommend. It uh, has come about through a series of experiments on approaching seals from different uh, platforms, from on foot and kayak and boat. Um, 20 is a good compromise that takes into account the fact that some seals will be more used to people than other seals. Um, for example, in Kaikoura, where they get to see lots of visitors quite regularly, they'll be a little more used to people, whereas, um, say, uh, farewell spit seals up there might not get to see as many seals or <laughs> might not get to see as many people. Yeah. But what can happen, um, you know, a seal on its own is generally going to startle if you get too close to it and it will try to make a run for the sea. And you just don't want to be in the way of it. It's not going to try to be aggressive. It just wants to get out of a situation that it's um, nervous about. If you're um, viewing a breeding colony and get a bit too close, then um, then there's a real risk there of causing a stampede if you get too close. And animals can, um, the bigger adult animals can run over the pups, or you also have situations where an, um, they're, they're in a panic, so they're not necessarily looking at the best way down off these rocks. And so sometimes they can fall from a height, which isn't nice. The idea of Causing and being responsible for a stampede is is horrific, and I don't ever want to have that on my conscience. So I will remain twenty meters away from a breeding colony or as far as possible. Um, but what if we we were talking to Brent Bevan on the podcast, and he talked about walking through tussock and then stepping on something squashy, and then realizing he was at the wrong end of a I think that one was a sea lion. But mm -hmm. what if I accidentally come across a fur seal and I'm closer? What do I do? It, it does happen, so that's a really good question to ask. Um, they're so well camouflaged, especially in the rocks. The best thing that you can do is just back away quickly but calmly. Um, you don't want to cause any more issues by trying to run away and, and tripping and, and hurting yourself. But if you can just back out of the situation quickly and calmly, that'll usually do it. Remembering they're not after you, they're just trying to get away because they've been startled. Sure. And you don't want to be between the seal and the ocean either. Yeah. Yeah. What's the worst thing you've seen someone do in a coastal area? Worst thing I've seen somebody do in a coastal area? Probably, I think, just not being aware and, and not keeping a lookout. Uh, there are certain... Um, the Kaikoura Peninsula, just I've spent so much time there and seen so many cases of people... Stum almost stumbling upon a fur seal and just because they weren't expecting it there, even though it was, you know, it is where they normally are found, um, but not expecting it exactly there, 
the seal gets a fright, the people get a fright, and they just all kind of run. That's quite a common sight. Um, I've also seen people, you know, going for that selfie and trying to sit right next to a seal to get that selfie image and and almost get bit in the process. So um, it's best in those situations when you see a seal. Um, again, just going back to give it space. They, you know, you can view them, enjoy them, spend hours watching them, and you can still get your selfie from 20 meters away. It's just giving them that space so that they don't freak out because they're only going to react badly if they feel cornered or threatened. And it's their habitat, so you need to respect it. Exactly. Unfortunately, behavior um, that's bad on beaches isn't rare. We would like it to be rare. You run a program called Lead the Way around dogs in public places. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. Um, Lead the Way is focusing on the impact that dogs can have on coastal wildlife. So that includes the marine mammals and, um, and shorebirds. It's about raising awareness with dog owners to be alert to what is in um, in your area, what wildlife can be on the beaches, and um, and how best to protect that wildlife while you're out walking your dog. So it's about sharing space. Okay, and if I've got um, you know Rufus on the beach, what are the kind of things that you you tell people with dogs to do? Well, the first and foremost thing is to know before you go. Um, we always say to find out what the rules are. Uh, it's really common around New Zealand for people to travel with their pooches, and um, and that's fantastic. And we are a relatively dog-friendly place, um, but you just want to make sure you can take your dog somewhere before you get there and um, get caught out. Doc's website has a really great function that lets you select for dog-friendly walks um, if you're looking at going to a new place. And the other thing is that dog rules are different all around the country. And so it's really important to, to check what they are before you go somewhere. While we're primarily focusing on the safety of the wildlife, it is about the safety of your dog as well. Being responsible and being aware to what all those dangers are um, is really good to, to help keep your dog safe. And those common sense tips are going to go a long way for keeping our wildlife safe as well. We don't often realize how, um, how cryptic a doctoral nest might be um, or an oyster catcher nest. And, you know, a dog just being a dog and sniffing around and exploring could um, inadvertently crush an egg or scare an adult off a nest. And so it's just really important to be be alert. And if you see something on the beach, um, call your dog back and pop them on lead and walk past. And just so we're all aware, what is at stake if dogs aren't on a lead when they should be? A lot of things could happen um, if they're not on a lead. There's a story that I can think of that kind of covers off two different points, actually, because my dog is a reactive dog. So that means he doesn't really like approaches from strange dogs. It makes him nervous and he might lash out. So he's got an orange lead the way lead, which um, is a caution and signals to others that you should ask first before approaching. And... Um, my dog's name is Mac, and I was walking him out at Red Rocks one day, and it was the first time I was ever taking him to Red Rocks, so I 
did all this research on online to try to find out what the rules are. Is he even allowed to go there? Um, does he need to be on a lead? And yes, the answer is dogs are allowed, but they should be on a lead. Um, so I did the entire walk with him on lead, saw one other dog owner with their dog on lead that day. There were a number of other dogs that were off lead. And as we were walking um, back to the car, there was a dog that was following us. And because of Mac being reactive, I was um, doing my best to kind of keep him um, safe and away from this other dog. Um, and the owner was having a chat with her friend and not paying any attention to her dog. After a while, I heard this these screams calling her dog back to her. And I looked over and I saw that her dog was rolling in a rotten seal carcass. So um, I was like, okay, next time she's out walking her dog, hopefully she'll be a lot more present and paying attention to what her dog's doing to avoid that smell of seal in the car afterwards. What a wonderful way to learn. I bet she never forgot that afterwards. I'm, I'm sure not. I know I've had to wash some yucky smells off my dog and I cannot imagine how long it would take to get seal out of Mac. So you've already told us about so many different uh, wonderful work stories. Can you tell me about one of your strangest days at work? Oh, yes. Um, I had a very memorable experience one time. I was working out of the uh, Kapiti district office and one of the rangers there on call had received a call about going to see a seal um, up the coast. And he asked if I wanted to join and said, sure, why not? That would be fantastic to see another seal. And we hopped in the car, went up the coast. And when we arrived, um, the situation when it had initially been called in was that there was a van there and that a seal had crawled up under the van um, overnight and fallen asleep under the van. Now the people had woken up, had breakfast, and they wanted to carry on but were nervous because there's a seal sleeping under their van. So we um, arrived on site. The seal had moved out from underneath the van but was just a meter or so away from it. And the couple had placed crystals around the seal um, they were really concerned for the for the health of the seal. And yeah, they, they were just really, really worried about it and wanted us to do something. Um, and so we spent a lot of time just chatting with them, explaining that the seal was perfectly fine. He was a really good-sized male, um, subadult male, good body condition, no obvious injuries. Um, and you know, their, their concern was whether, you know, he was, he appeared lethargic because he was sleeping and, um, and that, and so we just had to explain, you know, these guys spend a lot of time at sea, um, foraging and then they come ashore to rest. So yes, a lot of the times when we do see them ashore, they are resting and that's perfectly normal. And he'll just, um, wander off, go back to the beach when he's ready. And sure enough, as we were sitting there chatting, um, he wandered off back down to the sea and swam away. That is quite a strange day at work. And, and it can't all be so light and rewarding. What are some of the challenging times you've faced? in this job? Probably some of the hardest times were, um, were at the Rena um, wildlife response um, for the oil spill. There were a couple of seals that were brought in to the oiled wildlife facility 
and that was that was just really tough. Um, I think it was about five seals that came in over a couple of week period. It was unfortunate because um, the spill, the the quantum of oil that was in the water, was having a a huge impact on on the birds and um, and penguins. And those were the wildlife most afflicted. The fur seals um, and other marine mammals were actually not very um, impacted by the oil spill, but there was a lot of concern. And so people would see a wet seal and think it's oiled or see it grooming and think, oh, um, it needs to, to be cleaned and cared for. And so we had some animals come into the facility that were actually perfectly fine Um one animal um, had been, um, he wasn't actually brought in because of fear of being oiled, but um, people were hand feeding it um, on the beach and was got to the point where he was kind of begging from people. And so they brought it into the facility and um, we could see he, he was just so used to people as you walked past um, the enclosures that the seals were kept in. He was just constantly asking for food. And um, we ended up making arrangements for him and this um, one other seal to be to be released. We asked for um, we had some staff there who were going back to the West Coast. And because the oil um, spill was on the East Coast, um, you know, these guys were old enough that um, that you could relocate them. It didn't matter if it was away from where they had originally been born. So, um, so it worked out. The other seal in that situation um, was a really sad one, um, and I'm so pleased that we were able to to get him released because if you can say that a seal was depressed, that seal was. He. Um, he came in and um, had a whole lot of fight and spunk as soon as he was brought into the facility. But then once he was checked by the vets and then put in um, the enclosure, his whole demeanor just changed. And um, and because of the fact that these guys can habituate so easily, we didn't want them being held for long periods of time because um, then then it would make it harder for them to reintegrate into the wild. So luckily we got um, those two taken over to the West Coast and re-released. That's a wonderful end to to those stories. And that I just want to remark on the hand feeding idea. Like you can imagine how, you know, cute that is for a selfie and then the knock-on effects of that. That's horrific. Exactly. People, um, you know, they're they're doing it coming from a good place and thinking that it's cute or it needs help but when it that um you know when it's a young animal it might look cute but if they become um accustomed to handouts or or even need it to survive and then when they're a fully grown adult then that puts a whole different health and safety risk spin on it and the outcome in the end is not good for the wild animal i think that is such a good point that we all do care and all of these things are coming from the same place they're putting you know finding a seal on a farm and wanting to put it in a blanket and all of that all of that is good meaning behind it but we just need to make sure we're all educated correctly um, so that our caring isn't actually impacting the species in a negative way and being traumatic for it in a fluffy blanket working in conservation is so full of challenges that it's a 
important to celebrate the wins. Tell me about a time that you had a really successful outcome and kind of is the reason you do your job. I Thankfully, I have lots of um, wonderful moments where I can say I really love what I do. But there's a, a particular story that really stands out for me um, in the last year and a bit that um, stems from sea lions but incorporates fur seals as well. So um, switching over to New Zealand sea lions, they the bulk of the population is on the Auckland Islands, but there's a um, another population or breeding um, site on the on Campbell Island, and Campbell Island is at the very extremes of their range, and it's really stormy, inclement um, island for these guys to live on. And the population there has faced really high levels of pup mortality over the years. Initially, it was from pups falling into uh, what we call terrain traps. So um, it could be mud pools or just steep-sided creeks and that that they then can't get out of. But in um, there were a couple of seasons in a row where before that started to even happen, we were having... Um, high levels of pups dying presumably because of, of exposure. Um, big storms would come through and because the main colony at Davis Point is on kind of a rock platform with not a lot of cover or protection, they were just sitting um, exposed um, to the elements. So as a result of the high level of pup mortality, we had um, it got to around 80% in one year in particular at the Davis Point Colony, which is insanely high. Uh, so we embarked on an engineering challenge with Fulton Hogan and Auckland Zoo. And um, the challenge was to design a pup shelter. And um, Auckland Zoo came up with a design that we uh, went further with. And they designed essentially an A-frame that uh, uh, it, it needed to meet a number of specifications for us. So it needed to be able to let in a certain amount of pups. Um, it had to be strong and durable to withstand the weather on Campbell Island. It had to be able to handle if an adult male um, sea lion bumped into it or tried to climb over it um, and also be easy to open up or clean out if needed. So the, um, we, we progressed with this uh, design and once it was built, um, we did a, well, Auckland Zoo did a few tests, um, firstly like dropping 400 kilos of weight on top of it to see if it would withstand that. And it, it met all of those um, requirements. But then we needed to actually test it in the, um, in the field and see if pups would use it. The problem that we have um, here is the fact that the New Zealand sea lion pups around Otago uh, are not colonial breeding um, like they are at Davis Point. So they breed dispersed. So there might be um, a beach that has a couple of females who have pupped on that beach, and then there might be one in a different location. Um, so they're spread out. Um, the other thing is that Summer in Dunedin is probably a lot nicer than summer on Campbell Island. So by the time we would have um, bad weather, and which would make the pups want to use it, or the pups were crashing in higher numbers, um, they were probably going to be too big to actually access um, the shelters. 
So in the end, we decided to trial them with fur seal pups. Um, so we could do this in winter uh, at a colony. And in winter, the fur seal pups are going to be approximately the same size as um, a sea lion pup in January. So we um, did a trial um, and it was absolutely fantastic. We worked with Auckland Zoo as well as um, the landowners um, at Matakitaki Akupe, um, Cape Palliser, on the south coast of the North Island. And so we had members of Ngāti Hinawaka um, bless the site before um, we started building the, the pod on the site. And um, it, was, it was just a fantastic experience, everybody working together. We put the um, shelter up. We were able to test it over the course of a week. Thankfully, a massive storm blew through and um, the fur seal pups decided to use the, the shelter. We were a little bit nervous um, going into it. Certainly, fur seal colonies have natural shelter. They've got rock formations. And also this one in particular also has coprosma bushes around it. So, so I was definitely a bit nervous about, well, we have competing shelter in the area. Are they going to use a man-made shelter? And um, the design of this one allowed for having um, a camera on the inside that was um, motion sensor triggered. And um, when we caught some of the images and first saw pups going into the shelter, it was just amazing to see that. Uh, the interesting thing was um, behavioral difference between the two species uh, means that fur seals are a bit more... Um, territorial about their space. So if one pump went into the shelter, it didn't let another one come in with it. So it had a nice cushy bedroom for the night. Sea lions were um, hoping, given the way that they um, pile up with each other and that, that um, it would be a different scenario and that more sea lion pups would be welcome in the shelter for that case. So um, next step, we're, we're looking for an opportunity to um, get the shelters to Campbell Island uh, to see if we can actually test them um, with the species they're designed for. What a fantastic conservation story. Was that just like a eureka moment when you saw them on the trail camera going in? It, it was awesome. Um, everybody was so excited. There was so much um, really positive energy going into the whole project and to see everyone's hard work um, and and just the excitement that they they used it. We didn't have to, you know, use any attractant or anything to try to get them to go into it. They just, their natural exploratory nature meant that they checked it out and went in. And, and how wonderful as well that you had uh, a challenge to solve and you went at it with all of the partners as well, Fulton Hogan and Auckland Zoo, and, and everyone came together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Highlight of my job um, or one of the things that I enjoy the most about it is collaboration, working with, working with others to solve a problem and using lots of different skill sets is the best way to go. It's the way we're going to save the world. Do you have what we've come to call a conservation conversion fact? This is uh, the kind of thing that you tell people at barbecues to sort of get them started in conservation. I was just telling um, our producer one before, who I don't think had heard, that um, bats can take 80% of their weight by their nipples. So they carry their 
children around like that, which I think is fascinating. <laughs> Other people's faces proved otherwise. <laughs> that That is a pretty amazing one. Um, with fur seals and, and sea lions as well, they've got a really interesting um, uh, lactation and gestation period. So when... Um, when a female comes ashore and gives birth, she has her pup, and about a week later, she actually remates um, with a uh, male holding the territory. Um, and then she'll start to alternate between going to sea to um, feed and coming back on shore to nurse her pup. The interesting thing is that the egg doesn't implant straight away. Um, it stays in stasis. And then about three months later, it will actually implant and, um, and her new fetus will start um, developing. So their um, gestation period is similar to humans at nine months, even though um, she's remated a week after um, or a week to 10 days after giving birth to the last pup. But what makes it really amazing is the fact that um, as she's going through this, and because the lactation length is approximately 10 months, that means that for most of that year, she's eating for three. She's having to eat to keep herself um, fit enough and also to feed her pup on shore and her growing fetus. So they're pretty impressive females. Wow. And she kind of almost hits pause on her pregnancy. That is amazing. And that also is why, um, you know, the, the energy involved in lactation um, is, is so intense. That's why that it's really rare um, that you'll see a female um, letting another um, pup suckle. This is a difference between fur seals and sea lions. Um, sea lions will let other pups um, suckle, but a fur seal, no. They, they will... Um, definitely chase away a pup that is not theirs. Pups will definitely try it on. It's what we call milk stealing. And if they're, um, if a pup's mother is out at sea um, feeding, you might see them wandering through the colony trying to look for a, a sleeping female that they can sneak up and steal some milk from. And sometimes they're successful, but if they wake that female up, they're going to get chased away. That is brilliant. I always recommend if you're watching, you know, we have lots of fur seal breeding colonies that have really good lookouts and you can just stand um, from up above and watch them. And if you watch for some of these behaviors and just see what a pup is doing going through the colony, you can see some pretty interesting stuff. And now I know what to look for as well. So I'll be yeah. like, I know why he's being chased away, milk stealer, sneaky. <laughs> So, Laura, let's recap the top three things that people need to remember in marine areas. The, the key thing um, is really just to be aware and be present. Be aware that, you know, we've got this amazing wildlife in Aotearoa. And, um, and yes, it can be right in our very own backyard. I can walk down the hill and go and see spoonbills and oyster catchers. And, yeah, possibly even a fur seal could rock up there. Um, so just be aware that there could be wildlife out there and how to react around it, um, give it space. Um, and, and also being present. You know, if you're out walking your dog or if you're just out walking by yourself, 
hopefully you're out in nature to enjoy nature. So, so be present and enjoy that. You'll get more out of it. And, um, and hopefully also spot the wildlife with enough advanced warning to um, weasel your way around. Laura, I cannot thank you enough for turning up today and telling us so much. I have learnt everything there is to know about dog on the beach etiquette. I know what to do if I see a seal in an unexpected area and how helpful I can be through data as a citizen scientist. I feel like everyone's got their hearts in the right place and we just need the correct education on how to care. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, to tell us all about the marine animals today. We're really glad that you chose New Zealand for your adventure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Erica Wilkinson, and this has been the Doc Sounds of Science podcast. This show is available wherever you get your podcasts, or you can stream it off our website, doc.govt.nz. This show is produced by Jane Ramage with editing by Lucy Holyoke. If you enjoyed this episode, show us some love with a five-star rating.